the passage this evening is John 3, verses 16 to 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So as Dave said, we're going to be looking at the problem of suffering. Um, Suffering is one of the most depressing facts of our lives, isn't it? Uh, As human beings, we will all face suffering, whether we like it or not. It's something that we'll all share in. It's an experience we'll all share in, because as much as we try and avoid it, we can't avoid suffering in our lives. Whether it's an illness that we will endure or have endured in the past already, uh, whether it's the death of somebody close to us, uh, whether it's the suffering of loss or grief or depression or sadness in some way or anxiety or fear. Maybe it's suffering that comes as a result of a a relationship breakdown. And even when we're not going through suffering ourselves, our own personal suffering, we're surrounded by a suffering world, aren't we? We just switch on our TVs or get our newsfeed on our uh, device of whatever kind or open a newspaper if we're old school. Uh, and, And suffering, it's all over the place. Suffering as a result of natural disasters. Suffering of people caught up in war and terrorism. Suffering of people caught in modern day slavery as we heard about last week. Suffering is all around us. And we rail against it. We rail against it in our heads and in our hearts as well. It just feels so wrong, doesn't it? And we cry out in despair, why? Why? Why, God, why? Why am I going through this? Why are you letting this happen? They don't deserve it. Why? Why? Why is it still going on? Why? We're going to watch a a clip uh, from one of the Alpha uh, videos, and it's just Nicky Gumbel talking about an experience of his own suffering, a time where something happened that shouldn't have happened, and he found himself asking that question, why? I think of an occasion some years ago when I was playing squash with one of my very best friends, Mick Hawkins. Mm -hmm. He just played a beautiful backhand drive, and as he turned to play the forehand, he just dropped dead of a heart attack. And I have never cried out to God more than I did in that moment. He has six children, the youngest was six, and the oldest was 18. And we had to tell each of these children it was the most painful thing, and it, it still is today the most painful thing for me. At five o'clock the following morning, I went out for a walk because obviously I couldn't sleep and I was praying and I cried out to God saying, God, I don't understand why this has happened. But I'm not going to stop trusting in you. I'm not going to give up praying. Corrie Ten Boom said, 
When a train goes through a tunnel just, and it gets dark, you don't just, throw away the ticket and jump off. We just stop the video there. Trust. Thank you. So I just want you to consider what Nikki Gumbel said for a moment and just turn to your neighbour, somebody near you. What questions come up around this topic of suffering? What questions come up around this topic of suffering for you or, with, or for people you know? Uh, so just chat about that for a moment. Okay. So stacks of questions. If we had more time, we could go around and hear some of those questions that perhaps you hear in your workplaces or in your friendship groups, the questions that people ask, those why questions that so often come to the forefronts of our minds uh, when people face suffering. The biggest question um, for me around this topic of suffering is this one. Why, if God is so good, does he allow suffering? If God is so good, why does he allow suffering? I want to acknowledge at this point uh, that as we go into and tackle this question uh, of suffering, it often is an intellectual thing that we wrestle with. It, it becomes a head problem for us as we try and search for answers to this problem of suffering. But we know, don't we, that actually it's a heart problem too because it's something we experience and something that we wrestle with some of us on a daily basis this problem of suffering so yes it is a head problem something we want to get our heads around and find answers for but it's also very real because it's our heart problem because it hurts us suffering hurts us as well if God is so good why does he allow suffering as we look at this problem, imagine the following scene. There is a woman and she stood crying and she's crying so much she's literally shaking. Her whole body is shaking and she's being held up by a man just to her side. And in between her, her sobs, she just cries out, I love you. And you think, okay. But what difference does it make to our reading of that situation when we see that the man who is holding the woman up has a gun to her side? What is our response then to that situation? Do we think that that woman really loves that man? No, the woman doesn't love the man because he is using his power over her. He is, if you like, forcing her to love him, to declare, I love you. And real love is not a product of power. Real love is not a product of power. So let me put uh, it to you that... It's because God is a God of love that we suffer in this world. Because God is a God of love, that is why we suffer in this world. It's a massive paradox for us to get our head around. It's one of the biggest paradoxes in the Bible. You see, if we believe that God is love, that his love for us is not controlling, 
It, it, he is not a God of love who cajoles us using his power to force us to love him back, whatever the cost. That is not the nature of the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of love who also gives us the freedom to choose to love him back. He doesn't use his power over us like that man did with that woman to force us to love him back. 1 John 4 verses 7 to 8 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And when God created humanity, he created us to be free. And that was an incredible demonstration of his love for each one of us, that he gave us the freedom to choose. And as a result of that love and the resulting freedom, you and I and everyone, we all have this choice every day to do good or not to do good. We have this freedom and this choice every day to love God, to love other people, to love our friends and to love those people that we don't even know, even to love ourselves. The choice to love or not to love. We have this choice to love or to do good or not to love and not to do good. But so often the choices that we do make because of the freedom that God has given us are not to love and not to do good. And those choices result in pain and that pain is called suffering. It's because God is love that there is suffering in the world. Right at the beginning of the Bible, uh, the writer tells us that humanity made a choice, not out of love for God, but out of a desire for power. And the result of that choice was suffering and pain and broken relationships. Since that time, people have chosen not to live God's perfect way. We've chosen not to live in relationship with him or others. And so gradually, this world has become more and more fractured. It's become more and more broken. It's become more and more corrupt. We sometimes describe the world as being fallen, fallen away from how God designed it to be. And so the Bible makes it clear that the course of suffering, the brokenness of the, this world, is not just out there either, but it's within here. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's all our responsibility. We all make choices. And sometimes, somewhere along the line, those choices that we make bring pain and bring suffering, sometimes to ourselves and sometimes to other people. Together, we choose to consume more than we need. And that consumption sometimes means that uh, the Earth's resources are depleted, which sometimes means that somewhere down the line, people may be short of water. Uh, together, we may purchase, choose to purchase really cheap clothes, which may result 
in somewhere, somebody down the line being caught up in slavery. People make choices every day to hurt each other, to cause pain, relationship breakdowns, financial problems. People make choices that cause genetic and environmental change resulting in illness. It's because God is love that we suffer in this world. The very essence of God is that he is love. And that means we have freedom to choose. And so you may ask at this point, well, if God is love, why does he just not put an end to suffering? If God is love, why does he not put an end to suffering? Can't he just stop it? Can he just not stop my suffering? That pain I'm going through at the moment. Can't he just stop the suffering of innocent people in our world? Why doesn't God just come and destroy ISIS or destroy Kim Jong-un or Donald Trump, depending on your politics? Um, Why doesn't he stop the destruction of the rainforests? Why doesn't he stop people getting cancer? Why doesn't he stop relationships breaking down? Can't God just make us love him or love each other more? But what would we be asking here? We would be asking God to take away our freedom and our choice. We would, at the end of the line, be asking God to destroy the human race. But we know that God is love. And his, his love for humanity means that he has given us freedom to love him back. Freedom to choose to love him, but freedom to choose not to love him. Or in fact, anybody else for that matter. God could, he has the power, and I'm sure he has the desire to stop, to end suffering. But where would he start with ending suffering? And where would he stop? Or more precisely, who would he start ending suffering with? And who would he stop with? We want God to change things. But how could he change one thing without changing everything? On on Friday night, I watched the film uh, About Time by Richard Curtis. It was out in 2013. I'm a bit slow when it comes to watching films. And uh, it's a great film. And the main character, Tim Lake, who you can see on the screen there, uh, can travel backwards in time and then come back uh, into present time in order to change things. And it sounds great. And for a time, it is great. But during the film, Tim discovers uh, that if he changes one thing back in time, it always has a knock-on effect somewhere down the line. One small change starts to change everything further down the line, not necessarily in the way he planned or wanted things to change. If one thing changes then everything, or indeed everyone, is changed. There's a knock-on effect. So if God begins to intervene to stop suffering, where would God start and where would he end? 
Because, as we heard earlier, if we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we've all part played our part in suffering. We've all lied, we've all cheated, uh, we've all been rude to somebody, we've all gossiped behind somebody's back. And when we know, we're honest, we know that we're all people who have made choices which have resulted in our own or other people's pain. And so where would this God, who is all-loving and all-knowing and all-powerful, draw the line in getting rid of suffering? This whole question also implies that all suffering is a bad thing, that there is no good in suffering. And I don't think that's always the case. When my dad left our family when I was 15 years old, it did feel for some time that my whole world had fallen apart. The next few years were really hard for lots and lots of reasons. But I really wonder what life would be like for me now if that hadn't happened, if I hadn't gone through that time of pain, and if our family hadn't experienced that suffering together. I sometimes wonder, what would I be doing? Would I even be a Christian? Uh, Would I be doing this job? I don't know. And I can look back and I can see that God was in that time and that God brought things together and actually good has come out of that time of pain and suffering. I'm sure many of us have got those similar stories. So is there any answer then to the problem of suffering? Is there any answer to the problem of suffering? People have tried to come up with answers to the problem of suffering. Moralism says suffering is a result of too much sin and not enough faith. And so you need to do more of this and less of this, and then suffering will go. Islam also comes up with an answer to the problem of suffering. Islam says that suffering is God's will. Submit, submit to it. Atheism says that suffering is because rubbish happens in this world. You've just got to get on with it. It's part of evolution. It's essential for the development uh, of humanity. Buddhism says that suffering is just an illusion. There is no such thing as suffering. But I think there are three other possibilities in response to the problem of suffering. Firstly, we could abandon the idea of God. Secondly, we could face it and embrace it. And thirdly, we could perhaps do something about it. I'll just look briefly at those uh, three things. So we could abandon, abandon God. Some of us, maybe some of us here tonight, get to the point where we just think, if this is God, if God can allow me to be going through this suffering, if God can allow innocence to suffer in this world, then I want nothing to do with that God. But in a sense, does that answer or explain the problem of suffering? We can choose to abandon God and decide that there is no God, because if there was, he would do something about suffering. But suffering will still be there. Suffering will still exist. 
And all we've done is taken out any hope, any hope in suffering. Secondly, we could face it and embrace it. Sometimes we just need to face suffering for the terrible thing that it is. There's no clear, neat, boxed answer to the problem of suffering. And so we have to find ways to live with it, with this problem, this pain, and to live sometimes with just not knowing the answer to the question, why? The Bible doesn't deny the problem of suffering, doesn't deny the suffering that people go through in their lives. In fact, its pages are full of people wrestling with this problem of suffering. Whether it's Job, who we see walk down his own lonely path of suffering. Whether it's David, King David, who writes the Psalms lamenting his pain, his loneliness, his afflictions. Whether it's the people Jesus encounters on the streets of Israel, the broken, the diseased, the grieving, the outcast, the suffering. Whether it's Jesus himself. The Bible doesn't avoid this problem of suffering. The Bible faces suffering head on, and yet there is relief, and there is hope, and there is wisdom for those who suffer. A few years ago, many of you will remember the time uh, where there was a horrendous mine collapse in Chile. Uh, and uh, during that time, I think 33 miners got trapped in, down in the mine uh, for many, many days. And we're going to watch now an interview with one of the miners as he tells his experience of what it was like literally in that pit, uh, not knowing what was going to happen to him. Um, it's in Spanish, but there are subtitles, but they're quite small. Uh, so I hope you'll be able to read what he's saying. Bueno, una, un día como cualquier otro, eh, nos estamos en la mina y, y en ese día yo no tenía trabajo al tiro inmediatamente. Así que me llevé el equipo al taller y ahí hice mi trabajo y luego me fui al refugio. Entonces, al, eh, yo estaba, cuando esto ocurrió, una, esta explosión, eh, sobre nuestras cabezas a la, cerca de las 2 de la tarde y nos deja atrapados por 4 horas eh, con tierra, con polvo. Y de ahí luego discurrimos poder salir de ese lugar, alguna manera de escapar, y realmente nos dimos cuenta que no había escapatoria de ese lugar. Dijimos la única posibilidad, se llama Dios, se llama Cristo, así que vamos a tener que orar aquí. Así que se, se hace esta reunión y se reparten tareas, y bueno, dentro de esas tareas, eh, bueno, aparte también de, de ver cuántos alimentos teníamos, prácticamente no teníamos alimentos más de dos o tres días, como porciones normales. Pero entre todas esas tareas, a mí me, me, me dicen, bueno, sabemos que usted es cristiano, queremos que usted nos guíe en la oración. La primera oración fue más o menos, más o menos así, le dijimos, Señor, no somos los mejores hombres, eh, Señor, ten misericordia de nosotros, eh, mira a los jóvenes, mira a nuestra familia, eh, en fin, eh, le presentamos toda eh, nuestra situación al Señor, así que nosotros acá no podemos hacer nada, solamente nos queda usted porque no tenemos a otro quien clamar, sino que sabemos que usted es el que escucha la oración. Empezaron a pasar los días y ya empezamos a tener una oración a las 12 del día. Y esto empezó a causar eh, cambios ¿eh? en las personas, eh, ánimo, en el ánimo, en la amistad, en la unidad. El Espíritu de Dios estaba ahí con nosotros 
eh, yo lo he visto hombres más humillados que los 33, estuvimos haciendo ayunos de 24 horas, de 48 horas, 72 horas, fue lo que más aguantamos para poder que estos alimentos nos duraran en, en esas porciones, de, tan pequeñas, pero para nosotros era importante. Así que duramos hasta el día 16, se nos acaban los alimentos después nosotros. Cuando al día 17 el Señor permite que nos encuentren, así que ya nos empezamos a dar cuenta que había movimiento de maquinaria y, y que nos estaban tratando de buscar en diferentes lugares. But after 17 days of praying, a miracle, a probe had found its human target. And then a simple note, proof they were all alive. Sixty-five days after the collapse, and after 33 days of drilling, Igor's plan B reaches the miners. Mencionar también que veintidós de ellos aceptaron a Cristo. Eso es algo bastante importante, creo yo. Cuando estábamos por salir, ahí se producen. Tuve que llamarlos a la oración, tuve que recordarles que nadie me sale de aquí hasta que no le demos las gracias al Señor. The last miner has lifted to the surface. This is the moment. This rescue has come to an end. An explosion of celebration and joy after more than two months trapped more than 2,000 feet underground. All 33 have been rescued. It's an amazing rescue, isn't it? It's an amazing story as well. I love it that one of the most common phrases in the Bible, it appears more than 400 times, is this. Fear not. Fear not. I'm sure when those guys were stuck down that mine, uh, those who knew Jesus remembered that phrase. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. God doesn't say, fear not, because I'm going to make everything all right. Or, fear not, because I'm going to take away all your pain. Or, fear not, I'm going to stop disease or war or famine. But he does say this, fear not, because I am with you. Fear not, because I am with you. Joshua 1 verse 9, an incredibly famous verse in the Bible. Uh, God says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Those Chilean miners, even though they were in extreme dire straits, God was with them. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, Paul is, in, is going through the most horrendous suffering and persecution at this time, and he writes this, 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the futures, nor any powers, neither death, neither height nor depth, know anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you face suffering, God says, fear not, because I am with you. Fear not. Why? Because love has won. We've broken ourselves. We've broken this world. And God longs to restore what is broken. He longs to restore what is broken in us. He longs to restore what is broken in his world so that we might fully know his love, so that we might fully know him and the fullness of life that he has for each of us. And it's in Jesus that we see what God did about the problem of suffering. It's in Jesus that we see what God did about the problem of suffering. He entered into suffering itself. On the night that, that Jesus was betrayed, he went into the upper room and gathered around the table with his friends. And Jesus took bread and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. My body broken even though we had broken that relationship with God, Jesus' body was broken, was broken on that cross so that you and I could know forgiveness, could know restoration, could know new life, could know the love of Jesus so that we might know the love of God and be able to stand here and say, I am a child of God, my body broken for you. And just listen to this most famous verse that Iona read earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Just listen to verse 17 again. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him because of his love for us. God could not have condemned the world for the choices that we had made, but instead God sent Jesus to save the world and to save each one of us from that sin that so easily entangles us. And so all of us continue to have choice and to have freedom to love God, to do good, or to not love God, or to not do good. And so while this earth exists, there will continue to be suffering. But alongside that suffering, there is hope. There is always hope that one day all this will end and God will bring to completion what he started, what he did in Jesus, and all will be made new. And also there's comfort. There's comfort. The sort of comfort that those Chilean miners experience that even though many of us will live and go through suffering, we can know that we have a God who loves us deeply, who gave us freedom, who chooses to love us and chooses to walk with us through our lives, who says to each of us, fear not, because I am with you.
And the third thing, the third answer. We can do something about the problem of suffering. We all have a tendency, I think, sometimes to see suffering in this world and think that it's somebody else's fault or that somebody else should do something about it or just wait for God to come and do something about it because it's his fault anyway. But have you ever considered that you and I might be the answer? Perhaps to somebody else's prayer perhaps to somebody else's prayer that their suffering would stop. Tomorrow, you might be in the right place at the right time, meeting the right person to show them the love of God. You'll be the right person in the right time, in the right place to speak a word of wisdom, a word of love into their lives, to listen to them, to share their pain, to help them practically God may use you to challenge injustice in the world or do something in the area of poverty um, to get alongside a person in despair. You might be God's hands and feet in this world to restore some of the brokenness, some of the pain, some of the suffering in people's lives. And pray, pray about suffering, pray about pain. I believe that God comes in and can transform the deepest, darkest situations into good and to light and to hope for his glory, as we heard in that clip there. Sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed by this problem of suffering, we think we can't do anything. But all of us, by loving as Jesus has loved us, can do something, however seemingly insignificant, or small, to join in God's work of love and redemption and restoration of this world. So we can choose to abandon God. We could choose to face it and embrace it, and we can choose to do something.